it's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on the first day of August. We're with you until at least 11 o'clock today on a busy Saturday morning. Lauren Tate is here. We have plenty of items to talk about on uh, this particular Saturday morning, brought to you by the Pella Window Store, Illini Pella Windows and Doors. We'll start off with some breaking news from overnight. Uh, shortly after 8 o'clock last night, Io Dusumu on his Twitter account, uh, made the announcement that, that he will indeed return to the University of Illinois for year number three. He says he would like to get that national championship. Kofi Coburn expected to make a similar announcement. Um, one o'clock today. This afternoon, early this afternoon. Yeah. So uh, big so times for Illinois basketball. Back. I think it was planned, Steve. Each, each one has his day. That's right. That's the way they should do it. And uh, so we'll be talking about that all the way through. And Io, just in my mind, with... With that particular move, kind of cemented his legacy in in Illinois basketball. If we only have a season, that's that's, the scary that's right. Part. That's the next thing you cross your fingers for, yeah. is if there'll Illinois be a basketball ready season. ready in football and basketball if they just have seasons. I'd say basketball is more likely right now, but uh, who knows what what's going to happen in the next few Off months. A lot of talk within the staff here about the possibility of not starting till January the first. Um, I don't know why they would wait till then. <laughs> I don't know the difference between December 1st and January 1st, but there's at least a, there's that talk going on, and there's a lot of talk at the Big Ten office about the same thing. We'll talk more about Io and Kofi and what that means as we move our way through our show today here on WDWS, and we welcome in the listeners on Light Rock 97.5 WHMS as well, doing a little simulcast of our program today. Our first guest... Mary Henson is in the studio with us. Of course, earlier this week, at midweek, we learned of the passing of everybody's friend, Lou Henson, and certainly our thoughts and uh, prayers have been with you for, for quite a few uh, weeks, uh, Mary, and uh, we're happy to see you this morning. How are you? Thank you so much, Steve. It, it, it's nice to be here. It really is. It's good to see old friends again. And you, uh, over the years, you saw the popularity of, of your husband, and you kind of were... You were right there for everything. It's just, it was a great ride for you, wasn't it? Well, it certainly was. I, um, early on in our marriage, I decided I better get on board or I'm going to be left behind. <laughs> so that's, that's what I chose to do. And that's what I did. And oh my gosh. It's How did you and Lou meet? How did we meet? Oh, that's a, okay. The Jolly Green Giant had a lot to do with that. Because Lou came up from Oklahoma with a, a, some of his college buddies and his, some of his brothers, and they came up to Lanark, Illinois, where we had a green giant pea and corn uh, canning factory, and they um, worked three consecutive summers there, and I met Lou the last month of the last summer he would have ever been in Lanark, Illinois. 
And he always says, yeah, I almost escaped. (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't quite. He didn't quite. (laughs) You know, Mary, uh, one of the great things I remember when we went to Oklahoma, when he was named to the Hall of Fame for the state of Oklahoma, and you were up there on the, you know, up on the stage with Lou, standing right next to him, and he was answering questions, and something came up, and I remember you said something to the effect, we did this together. (laughs) what, what What were your exact words? I don't remember. <laughs> I couldn't remember that. If you <laughs> no, I I don't remember what. Well, I, I said. think you made a really good point that it was, it was a combination a deal. Team, I mean, it was teamwork. Is that what? Yeah, yeah. I, probably I said exactly. teamwork because that's the the key word in our in our family. In the last the last couple of years have really been tough on you. I know, and and I don't think people fully understand that. You know, Lou was really fading and and there was nothing you could do about it really that's it's right. amazing he that's stayed right. on i thought as long as he did oh d- you know during these 17 years i can't tell you the number of times we thought we had lost him uh, well lauren you all remember the viral encephalitis many years ago uh, probably 15 or 16 years ago and uh, when you and some 40. of the buddies from champagne yeah. jim wright and and uh, Dean Stewart and some of those guys came down to, to see him. Hey, we, we thought we'd lost him then because not many people survive viral encephalitis over 70 years old. And we thought, oh, my gosh, this might be, you know. But, oh, no, not resilient Lou. <laughs> <laughs> he just battled him, battled back like the warrior he was. Well, basketball coaches and coaches of all types tend to move around a little bit, and Lou did that in the early part of his career, and you were right there going to to, to Hardin-Simmons, New Mexico State, before coming here. Talk a little bit about that and, and just having, you know, moving around every few years. Well, we really didn't. We were only at, I mean, we did move, of course, but when I think about other coaches' right. careers, oh, my gosh, we practically, you know, were stationary. Um, we went from Las Cruces High, where he was highly successful, and then to Hardin Simmons, where he um, he made, he he accomplished at Hardin Simmons one of the um, most important things that he he felt he did in his career was to promote the integration of Hardin Simmons University in the time period of early 60s where I'm telling you it was not a pretty scene any place in the south or any any place really but things were taking place that needed to take place and and uh, so he uh, was successful there and then we moved back to New Mexico State and then he built that program to uh, uh, culminate in the final four. You know, I, I recall that he told me that Mississippi uh, did not allow black athletes at that time. And he, when he was recruiting for Hardin-Simmons, he went to Mississippi to recruit black athletes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he had, <laughs> I'm laughing because I was thinking about him getting in his little VW Beetle <laughs> and heading out for Mississippi because you know, private schools don't have any money generally. I mean, you know, small private schools. And so our budget was zilch. And so when, when he uh, 
uh, left in his beetle, he, he really was happy he had that because the, uh, he'd get great gas mileage. And he wouldn't have to stop at too many gas stations because every t- gas station he stopped at in Mississippi, they were right on him wondering why. I see that you have an Illinois, uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, a Texas tag. Why are you here in our town? <laughs> I mean, they absolutely, everybody attacked him, basically, when he showed up. And he'd say, well, I'm just a basketball coach, and I'm here to look at um, uh, the talent available and maybe recruit some of the players. And so they would generally let that go and send him on his way. Well, I don't know what they were going to do if, he, right. what, if it wasn't a good answer. But once anybody met Lou, that <laughs> everybody loved him at that point, so he could go anywhere he wanted. Well, at, at Harden, when he was at Harden Simmons, he was just building the program, right. and and he wasn't uh, that well known. But he, you know, he was. Yeah, but I'm talking about the kind of man he was. Oh right? yes, oh yes. Mm-hmm. He's never met a stranger. That's true. Never been a nicer guy that I've ever met. Well, and, and I, a lot of I think I share. I would the, have to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> when. The job came open at Illinois, and you being an Illinois native, what were your thoughts on the possibility of him taking that job? Well, the reason I felt that we would be coming here uh, is because uh, we were, Lou was friends with Cecil Coleman. I mean, he he wasn't really friends, but he uh, knew him very well because they were both athletics director at their each each uh, university. Uh, Cecil had been at Wichita State and Lou at New Mexico State. They were in the same conference. And uh, so the Missouri Valley Conference. And so they knew each other. And of course, Cecil was very impressed with Lou because he had seen all of his teams play and he knew how tough, you know, tough they usually were. And so that's, uh, that's why I felt like we had a good chance to come here. And um, then would, when Would Oklahoma, you have come here if you had not uh, pref- preferred it, you personally? Because he had an offer from Oklahoma at the yes. same time. Oh, well, there wasn't any choice there. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to come to Illinois, and my, or my extended family would have hung me up. I mean, they would, they would not have liked that, that's for sure. They would not have liked that. Visiting with Mary Henson, she's going to be with us until about the bottom of the hour in our first uh, half hour of the uh, show. It's awful hard on a career like Coach had and you had with him to pick favorite memories, but give me a couple. A couple of favorite memories with Lou or of his that I think? Either way. Yeah. Well, of course... One of our first favorite memories was having our children, and we had them one, two, and three. Every year we had, <laughs> and we had three under three at one time. And then uh, seven years later, we had our, our baby. Of course, we, you know, that was big. That was really big in our lives. It changed our entire perspective of life, of course, as it always does. And, um, and then the three, I think Lou always said, 
the most satisfying uh, victories he had were, were those three consecutive state championships. He was absolutely so proud of them because he had taken these young men. Uh, uh, talk about diversity. We, you know, we just had a wonderful uh, group of guys that learned to play together, that loved each other, and and won those uh, three. Con and he he said at that time that it was, and has throughout the years that that may be as proud uh, of uh, an effort as he as he um, uh, had felt. You know, in other words, he was sure. It was excellent for him to to. Uh, have the, uh, that behind him because that's what he his goal was to just win a one high school championship and then to do that and then go on yeah that was very gratifying you know before Lou came here I, I, I looked this up the first 16 he's coached 16 years before he came to Illinois I think or maybe more I'm but the first 16 years he won 339 games <laughs> That that was a number I did. That includes all those. I think one year you were like twenty-eight and one at, at Las Cruces High School. Yes, we probably were. And mm -hmm. and uh, and that the way he turned, uh, you know, this was he took he took over three terrible teams. By the way, Hardin Simmons, and certainly New Mexico State. They only won four games the year he came there. And then the University of Illinois was really down. We won five games uh, one year and eight wins the other year before he he took over so he he took uh, he had a he, he didn't uh, inherit any great teams anywhere he went he was a program builder yeah he really that was his forte mm -hmm. he absolutely uh, and he was willing to sacrifice willing to work his work ethic was uh, was beyond any that you can think of because well now wait a minute how did you get along with a guy that got up at three and four o'clock in the morning <laughs> well he got up and he went out and um uh looked at film that yeah. he kept out of you know he let me sleep <laughs> as long as the babies would let me sleep <laughs> but um oh yeah we and i do love to sleep in when i can i have to admit but he was so good about that. And even when he was very ill, and we were there alone, he would get himself out of that bed, get him into his wheel, himself into the wheelchair, go in and fix himself toast and so forth so I could sleep in. It was just amazing. And of course, I, he shouldn't be doing that. You know, he shouldn't have been doing that, but he did it because he wanted to let me have some extra rest. He was just a very thoughtful guy. We're visiting with Mary Henson. It is 915 WDWS WHMS Champaign-Urbana. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take our first break. Mary will stay with us for another 15 minutes or so. We'll have Mark Coombs join us after this. Stay with us. We're back in just a moment. I'm Chaz Holder. Welcome back to the show, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Mary Henson is with us in the studio. We also welcome to the program another member of the Illini and Henson family. Mark Coombs joins us on uh, the telephone. Mark, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning to everyone in Champaign. How are you all doing? We're doing well, visiting with uh, your Aunt Mary, and she is uh, reminiscing a little bit about uh, Coach Henson, and, and you'd like to do the same. Is that right? I do. I am, I'm, good morning, Aunt Mary. Good morning, Mark. Good to hear your voice. Well, we're all morning down here uh, for Lou, Craig and Don Bazzani, Bob Scully, Lou Perano, my sister Kathy, my wife Kathy, and myself. It's really been a tough time for all of us. Well, it's good to hear uh, from you, and I know you have uh, some words that you'd like to, to speak to our audience. I do. I invite you to sit back, relax, and listen to my words. I hope it brings catharsis to you. This is going to be a celebration of the essence and goodness of Coach Henson's life through my eyes. What a great life it was. The one thing that you can say for sure was that he had had a positive, profound positive effect on thousands and thousands of people. This is a huge part of his legacy. When you think of Coach Henson, the two schools that come to mind are Illinois, where he won 423 wins, and New Mexico State, where he won 289 wins. The winningest coach of both schools, and his name is on both basketball courts. Those are the last statistics you'll hear from me today because there are a lot more important things to talk about. I am representing his memory today with wearing his orange windbreaker that he wore for 21 years at Illinois. He always had a, he was always cool to the touch and he's always had the windbreaker on and his favorite New Mexico State Aggie baseball cap. When he gave it to me, he said, Mark, it's really, really sharp. I sit here as a 68-year-old man, quickly thinking back to June 1967 when I was 15 years old. I was staying with my Uncle Lou and Aunt Mary and their family in Las Cruces, New Mexico for the summer. He came out of the basement of a dilapidated Williams gym one day with a basketball under his arm. That day changed my life forever. He demonstrated to me that day how important backspin was on the basketball when you shoot it, and the rocker step, which is an offensive move to get your shot. Later that summer, he showed me the crossover dribble and the reverse dribble. I was hooked and worked to become a skilled basketball player with very limited athletic ability. That summer, however, in the next two, I was exposed to different ethnic groups for the first time in my life, and I really, really liked it. You could characterize my basketball playing days by saying I was a big fish in a very, very small pond, but basketball appealed to me and coach gave me an opportunity to work for him on three different occasions. My story, however, is not unique. Joe Lopez, Keith Colson, Rob Evans, John Burgess, Ed Murphy, Tony Yates, Les Whitkey, Bob Hall, Jimmy Collins, Dick Nagy, Mark Beal, Russ Bradford, Tony Stubblefield, Thomas Trotter, all assistant coaches that could get here what I'm doing and tell their story about coach, how coach helped to shape their lives and their careers. We all know that Coach was unwavering in his loyalty. He would do anything to help our careers. We also have grad assistants and managers who could get up before you as I'm doing and do the same thing. The success these groups have had after Illinois is truly amazing. A small sample size is our 1989 group. Brian Baker's in charge and the desk front desk newsman at Channel 2 Sports in Chicago. Scott Nagy is a head coach successfully at South Dakota State and currently at Wright State going to the NCAA tournament every other year. Dr. John Giannini is a Division III national champion at Rowan 
had a great run at Maine and LaSalle, and is currently an athletic director and TV commentator. And of course, Jim Phillips is one of the top, if not the top, athletic director in the country. And in two years, he's going to be the head of the NCAA Selection Committee for Basketball. All of us have always had a comfort level working for Coach. Coach Nagy once said, when you work for Coach Henson, you know you will have a job and win because you know he knows what he is doing. Winning was always in Coach's DNA. He worked for five athletic directors at Illinois in 21 years, enough said. Coach had some very, very strong character traits that created a foundation for his continued successes throughout his career. Number one, he always put his family first, and the family always supported him. Everyone knows that Aunt Mary and Lou were made to be a basketball couple. She loved him dearly, supported him unequivocally, and defended him against all detractors with all her might. And believe me, Aunt Mary has a lot of might. Louis Ray, who we lost too early, Lori, Lisa, and Leanne were all adored by their father and themselves sacrificed much for his career. The transition for the three older ones from New Mexico to Champaign in 75 was difficult at times. He dearly loved his grandchildren, great-grandchildren. He was unbelievably gracious to Mary's brothers, sisters, nieces, and nephews, and she likewise to his siblings, nieces, and nephews. In 1975, when Coach had an opportunity to go to Oklahoma or Illinois at the same time, he chose Illinois, and the Brantners, Mary's family of Northwest Illinois, had a 21-year run revolving around Illinois basketball, which made our family very strong. Number two, he had a strong work ethic both on and off the court. Itchy Jones would say baseball players are grinders. Coach Henson was a grinder. He only needed four hours of sleep during the season, and he kept coming and coming and coming at you. He never stopped working. Number three, he demanded execution of fundamental basketball on offense, defense, and special situations. Practice makes perfect was his goal. That was his motto. You don't think Ken's Norman shot at Wisconsin in 87 or Andy Kaufman shot against Iowa or Nick Anderson shot against Indiana happened by accident, do you? We practiced those things. He always had number four, an emphasis on time management. He wanted you to be on time to class, to study hall, to practice. He always thought it was important for everybody in the program, coaches, secretaries, trainers, to be on time. Everybody's going to have a boss someday, and they want you to be on time. And lastly, his greatest strength, and Dave Doris, before he became a trustee, was following our team closely, said, every year you show us something different. This is his greatest strength, and I agree with him, was in his flexibility and looking at the game and putting the players in the best position to be successful both on offense and defense. Different styles for different teams is what I say. How can you explain his first year, the Miracle Midgets at New Mexico State? They were in the 40s and 50s and 60s. They went to the NCAA his very first year versus three years later when he had the great Jimmy Collins, Charlie Chris, and Sam Lacey. They were in the 90s and the 100s, and they ran and they pressed or the 1984 Illinois team. One game away from the Final Four, getting beat in, in Rupp Arena. They were methodical, walked the ball off the court, defensive, tough, hard-nosed team, versus the 89 team, the Flying Line, where we were in the 90s and the 100s, had 127 points at LSU, and we pressed and ran. Please, make no mistake, 
Coach was sometimes not a warm and fuzzy coach to play for or to work for. He never used profanity, but he could make a player feel two inches tall with his admonishments, whether it was sloppy ball handling, whether it was bad defense, whether it was bad team play, poor shot selection, coach would get after you. He was old school from the Hank Iba School of Basketball. Players and coaches alike learned details were very important. He set the example for all of us and expected every player and coach to do the same. He utilized these four mentioned points to become a great builder of downtrodden programs. And believe me, coach never took a program on that was very good at the time he did and made them all into champions. His first, Las Cruces High School. After taking the job, shortly thereafter, he won three straight state championships. Hardin Simmons was his next job. Abilene, Texas, Baptist school in the middle of the Bible, Bible Belt. Hard job for sure. He interviewed for the job. They offered him the job. But there was one stipulation that was non-negotiable before he would agree to take the job. And that was he had to integrate the total program coaching staff and players. They thought about it. They allowed him to do it. He brought in the first Hispanic coach from Las Cruces, Joe Lopez, and he integrated the program. Harden Simmons, can you imagine today any 30-year-old high school coach turning down a college job because he demanded the school allow him to integrate the basketball team and essentially the school? Hall of Fame recognition came for coach in 1997. Here are the words that are on the plaque. The color barrier was broken in Hardin-Simmons athletics for the first time when coach Lou Henson brought to the 40 acres two junior college transfers from Oklahoma Junior College to Oklahoma, Mississippi. Nate Matkins and Art Haynes were the first black players to don a cowboy uniform. Those were the words in the plaque. He was a true trailblazer 58 years ago when it wasn't fashionable to do. Fairness and giving people opportunities were always ingrained in coaches' soul. His third job, New Mexico State, 4-22 the year before he took it. His first team, the Miracle Midgets, upset the University of Texas Western, who had won the national championship the year before. They beat him twice, and they had Big Daddy Latin at the post, three starters back. New Mexico with the great Mel Daniels, they beat them. Oklahoma City, Abe Lemons was the coach, a top 10 team, they beat them. They went to the NCAA tournament, and in the first round, the great Elvin Hayes and Don Chaney from the Houston Cougars got beat 59-58. Shortly thereafter, coach became the athletic director, built the Pan American Center, and went to the Final Four three years later. His fourth and final team in 1975. The most difficult of any of the previous jobs by far. Why is always the question that coach came to Illinois over Oklahoma. Part of it is Mary's family, but the other part is coach's appetite for competition. If you've ever watched him play dominoes, gin rummy, bridge, 500, checkers, recruiting, scouting, game planning, or games themselves, Lou loved competition and loved how to figure out the way to win, a way to win. The Big Ten at that time, 1975-76, was by far the best conference in the country. That appealed to him. Illinois had some major, major issues, however. They were not far removed from the slush fund. 
they had back-to-back last-place finish, finishes in the conference, with him being the third coach in three years. The only basketball coach association was mad at Cecil Coleman because they didn't, he didn't hire a high school coach. The Chicago coaches were upset because when they came to Champaign-Urbana in the state tournament, they didn't feel like they were treated fairly. The AD was a very frugal man. We had limited, limited facilities. There was no student group, no orange crush, no adult group, no rebounders. And to make matters much worse, Lute Olson was establishing himself at Iowa, getting top players out of Illinois like Ronnie Lester, Michael Payne, and Kenny Arden. And to the East, Bob Knight was winning national championships with players from Illinois like Quinn, Richard, Quinn Buckner, Isaiah Thomas, getting Glenn Grunwald, Jerry Colk, and Marty Simmons, etc. Our first year, we were very competitive. We beat Michigan in front of 5,000 people when they had the great Ricky Green and John Robinson from Chicago Hirsch. They got second in the country that year at Indiana. And Purdue, when we beat them and ended their 13-game winning streak. By year four, after Illinois beat Michigan State, they were off to the races. When I came back in 1985, I thought I was on another planet. The common denominator throughout the 21 years was always coach's expertise in his recruiting and his coaching and his great PR. Lastly, two personal traits that I thought were extraordinary about coach. Number one, his patience and his being genuinely nice to people. And number two, his ability to forgive and forget. On point one, I have witnessed him giving hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people his time with conversation, photographs, or autographs, going to visitations, funerals, or hospitals to see people he didn't know because of a phone call with standard operating procedure to Lou and Mary. His presence lit up the bowling alley, the bridge center, the Esquire, the nursing homes, and assembly hall whenever he was there. He and Aunt Mary are truly the most hospitable, generous people that you could ever imagine. The second trait deals with his uncanny ability to forgive and forget. During his college coaching career, especially at Illinois, sports writers, fans, broadcasters, and yes, even players themselves, would say or write very uncomplimentary things in newspapers and books or on radio, television, or podcasts. Coach was a man of great faith. We know where he is today. He never held grudges. He was once quoted after he and Coach Knight had a verbal confrontation in Champaign by saying, you have a flare-up, and then you go on. I've never been one to hold grudges. Coach believed, as Jesus taught his followers, to reject revenge and retaliation. Instead, he told his followers to turn the other cheek. A great lesson he practiced in life, being gracious to people and turning the other cheek, is the depth and the strength of Uncle Lou's life. The basketball has stopped bouncing for Uncle Lou. He is now united with his son, Louis Ray, and my mother, Rebecca, who we lost seven months ago. That is a very comforting thought for me going forward. The great era of, the great era of Coach Lou Henson in college basketball has come to an end with his passing, but it will never, ever, ever be forgotten. Thank you. Mark Coombs, thank you. Very well presented, very well thought out and written. We appreciate that. Uh, Mary has some uh, 
final words to say before she moves on. And we appreciate your time this morning, Mary, but I know you have a lot of people you'd like to, to thank. You know, Steve, <clears throat> well, first, Mark, that, you know, that was just a, a very touching tribute to Uncle Lou, and you did it so well. You're, that was wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, but I wanted to use this platform this morning to thank the community in general <clears throat> for the wonderful outpouring of love they have demonstrated uh, all through these 17 years that Lou has been ill. We, I, I can't tell you how, how wonderful people have been to us with the kind words and <clears throat> every, every people have done things for us that I just can't imagine people thinking of doing even. Uh, but the other, uh, so thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone who has, who has uh, made his life uh, better. And believe me, you have. And you know who you are. Uh, we had great medical care. The physicians and the nurses and the uh, therapists and the caregivers and all of you, oh my goodness, you have just uh, pulled together to give him 17 more years. He was stage four cancer 17 years ago. And all of you, your efforts to to care for him, heal for him, heal him, are oh so greatly appreciated, and he would love to be able to tell you himself. But I'm doing it for him. Thank you for making Lou's life in these last few months uh, a wonderful, uh, comforting time for him. And he died a, a very peaceful death, and we are so. Uh, glad that he deserved to ha be at peace. Um, and we absolutely will cherish every bit of kindness that has been shown us and treasure your friendships throughout the years. Thank you, everybody. Many of those people learned that type of kindness by watching how you and Lou operated in your marriage and the way you handled life and the ups and downs. So uh, thank, right, uh, thank you right back to you, Mary. Thank you, Steve. Anything else, Lauren? Well, I think, uh, I think Mark pretty much uh, said what all of us would like to be able to put in words. He has a great career and a great life, and we're going to miss him. We thank you for your time. We'll let you go. I know you've uh, been very busy, and... Uh, it's always good to see you, and we hope to see more of you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Lauren. All right, Mary. Thank you, Addie. <laughs> That's Mary Henson, everybody, and Mark Coombs as well. We'll take a break, and we'll continue our show. We're on both stations, WDWS, WHMS, Light Rock 97.5. We're back with more. We'll talk more about Lou Henson and other news of the day after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Illini Pella, Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you on WDWS 
and WHMS Radio in Champaign-Urbana with you until at least 11 o'clock today. Our thanks, many thanks to Mary Henson for spending the first 40 minutes of the show with us. Also, Mark Coombs spending some time with us as well. If you're just tuning in, we're talking a lot about Lou Henson today. Obviously, there are some breaking uh, stories to mention uh, briefly, as we mentioned off the top. Io Dusumu is coming back to the University of Illinois for his junior season. He made that announcement last night, about 8 o'clock or so. Kofi Coburn is making an announcement at about 1 o'clock today. It's expected that he'll be back as well, so some good news there for Illinois fans. Baseball news, the Cardinals-Brewers game scheduled for today in Milwaukee has been postponed as yesterday's game was. Four more um, people in the Cardinals traveling party have tested positive. So uh, Major League Baseball struggling with the uh, coronavirus and we'll have to see how that plays out. We're going to talk more about uh, Lou Henson and other news of the day with Dan Dockage from Indianapolis. Uh, good morning, Dan. Happy uh, hey, that you've taken time you? to join us. Good. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing wonderful. Actually, driving back from Illinois. I had a chance to play Medina yesterday with a good friend. Stayed overnight. My wife and I are driving the highways and byways of Indiana, so it's all good. Well, we wanted to get a couple of your thoughts about Lou Henson. You uh, faced him as a player and a coach in your time at Indiana, and and I'm sure you were saddened, as we all were, by uh, learning of his passing earlier this week. Yeah, I really was. Uh, coach Henson's always been really nice to me, particularly um, – when I would see him doing Illinois games a couple times, I think I was there when they named the court and a couple other times, he was just always fantastic. And as a guy that, you know, played against his teams going back to the uh, uh, Derek Harper years, you know, James Griffin, that kind of thing. And then, you know, kind of coaching through the Nick Anderson and all those guys, it was, uh, it was really sad news. I mean, I'm just fascinated because he's a guy, I don't know if anybody else has it, maybe they do, but he's the only guy I know that has two courts named after him, which I think is absolutely awesome and a testament to his abilities as a coach and his abilities to engage the community, man. I, I just, uh, I'm very saddened and I, uh, uh, you know, but I was talking to Coach Katie the other day and, and you know, we were just laughing about how, you know, he and Judd and Knight and everybody was, you know, competing like hell against each other. Everybody thought everybody hated each other. Maybe they did at times, but ultimately as they got older, everybody liked each other. And Katie was kind of laughing with me about that. You know, hi, Dan, this is Lauren. Yeah, I, I think that hey, Lauren. Katie's been in touch with Mary, I know, and, and uh, I think that uh, a lot of the former coaches that com- have competed so hard, we're going to have Norm Stewart on here in a little bit later. I mean, Norm, and he got into some outrageous games down in St. Louis. You know, Missouri and Illinois were really good. And the thing that, that right. comes back to me, and, and you were a part of that era as a player, certainly, uh, how much better was the Big Ten then than more recent? I mean, how much better was college basketball? Your opinion on that? Oh, well, I, look, with the one and done and everybody wanting to leave early, it, it's not even close. Lauren, I was, I was getting ready for a game, and I had, like, ESPN Classic Channel on, and it was like a 1992 game between Indiana and uh, Michigan. And I think there were 13 guys in that game that played in the NBA. And none of them, maybe one, maybe was a freshman. You know, you're talking about sophomores and juniors. And, you know, we, we, we kept Calvert Chaney for four years, for crying out loud, at Indiana. That would never happen now. So, yeah, because of that, it, it's, just, it's just so much better. It, it was so much better. But it's never going back. You know, I, I, I don't. 
you know, there, there, people, I, I'm going to celebrate that I think college basketball skill and bodies, that kind of thing, are probably better now. But in terms of experience, knowing how to play, there's no question because of age, it was, uh, it was a different era. Well, Dan, uh, we just got the announcement uh, that uh, Io is coming back. I would assume it's coming back at Illinois. And I mean, we know that Kofi's going to announce at 1 o'clock that he's going to be coming back. How, how much would you evaluate this if there's a season? <laughs> if there's a season, how would you compare them to Indiana, Michigan State, and, and the better teams in, in the conference? Hey, I just text. I, I, we stopped on the way at Starbucks, and I just stopped and text Coach Underwood, man, with, you know, I don't really do emojis, but, you know, big old I.O. with exclamation point. I think they're a top five, top ten team in the country. I, I think if Coburn comes back and the way he developed, um, I think that's a group that, look, who knows if we're going to have a season? Who knows what's going to happen with COVID inside of teams if we do have a season? I, I don't know. All I'm going to do is go by how I normally would prepare for a year. And, Lauren, i got to tell you, man, what I saw out of Kofi Coburn from the beginning of the year when I did a game against uh, Illinois at home against Miami, which might, probably was the mm. worst first half in Illinois basketball history, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, and the improvement that Coburn showed by the end of the year, I'm not sure I've seen a guy. And that tells me two things. It tells me, number one, he's, he's, you know, he's being coached and coached well. Number two, though, and this is what I like about Coburn, he is a sponge, man. He is a dude that picks things up, plays really hard, and I think if he comes back, you're t- I, I think you're talking about a top-10 team. I mean, we've we got to see what happens with Michigan State with, you know, Rocket Watts, Aaron Henry, and Xavier Tillman. Um, but I think you're talking about a top-10 team in the country, maybe a top-5 team. I, I, I love their team, and I love the way Coach Underwood coaches them. Well, Dan, how confident are you that we will have a season? I, there's already oh, talk that it might be pushed back to January 1st. I, what's the difference between January 1st and December 1st? You know, I don't know that there is, and I'll tell you something else. I, I think that we ought to start it pretty much on time because it normally starts around Thanksgiving. And, and most of these schools, I don't know, what it, I haven't read up on what Illinois is doing, but most of the schools are, are going to end the semester at Thanksgiving. So really, if, if you have players that, that want to be adult about it, you can create your own bubble, which we saw with the TBT and we're seeing with, um, uh, with the NBA. You can create your own bubble, really. Uh, with students being gone. And, and online classes are not unique. People act like online classes are so unique. That's just not true. I mean, online classes have been taken by kids for five, seven, ten years. Yeah. So that's not any issue. I, I just don't know, Lauren. I mean, anybody that does, I, I do think this, like I was talking to some guys at ESPN, and their thing is, look, uh, if football can come back, it helps everything else. If, if football, and I don't know how football makes it work. I, you, you guys are a lot smarter than me, and I, I can't tell you how you're going to be able to have a football season, but apparently people are planning on it, and I hope they do. But I, I, I can't tell you one way or the other. But I do know this. There is no difference between December 1st and January 1st, actually, because students aren't on campus anyway now. So, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I'm just hoping because uh, I, think, I think it shakes out to be a hell of a season. And, and if I'm an Illinois fan, I would really want this season. This is a this is as deep uh, and talented uh, an Illinois team as they've had in a long time, and uh, man, I, I I love their team. I do. I've said it very publicly on my show and other places that I absolutely love those guys, uh, Io and uh, and Kofi and the rest. So we'll see, Georgie. I think they're great. Hey, uh, Dan, I got to I got to take you back to the uh, 
the confrontation between Lou Henson and Bob Knight. We just had Mark Coombs on. He claims he was holding Lou. I heard that you're holding Knight. Is that true? Well, I thought it was Dick Nagy that was holding. Well, Lou. okay, I, <laughs> it might have been. Uh, you know, and Dick, I, I, I'll mess with Lou. I'll mess with Knight, but I wasn't gonna mess with Dick Nagy. But Dick <laughs> Nagy was a bad man, and I wasn't gonna. Uh, here, here's our version of it. You know, Knight surprised us all by walking off. Right? I didn't know. We're like, what the hell is he doing? So we went over and you know shook everybody's hand like you do. And then, I mean, you were back there. You guys know the locker rooms there were very awkward, right? You had a you had a very narrow hallway. You had a first locker room that was small, a second locker room that was small. This is before they let you in the women's locker room and redid it. At night, we get in there, and Knight has intentionally left the door open to the locker room, and he's just yelling about Lou. And sure enough, of course, Lou's got to come by. And Lou starts, he, he hears Knight, he's yelling at Knight. Knight, of course, charges at Lou. Lou steps in. I mean, nobody was backing down from nobody. And I'm like, holy hell here. This is unbelievable. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I kind of stepped in with Knight from behind and, and kind of on the side and tried to move him away. And I, I thought it was Dick, but it may have been Mark. Uh, kind of grabbed Lou, and it was, I, I literally believe this. And maybe Mark said this. I don't know. But I really think they would have thrown hands. I, I, I really believe they would have fist fought right there. I swear to God, this wouldn't have been one of those, you know, baseball we're going to push, shove, yell. Because it didn't look like to me, uh, Lauren, that either guy wanted anybody to hold him back. And, and then, of course, you, you know, you got the press conference after. Everybody got to say, Knight's got to be smart-ass. Lou's got to come back at him with the bully thing. And, <laughs> and then they became apparently friends later on. But yeah, they did. I, I, Lou, know, Lou was very forgiving. Yeah, Knight wasn't. But <laughs> Knight, you know, Knight, Knight just got old, I think, and said, oh, the hell with it. I'll fight with other people. But he, he – uh, he shocked. I can still remember sitting on the bench watching Knight, you know, take a left and go instead of take a right. And and we're like, what in the hell is he doing? There's still like 10 seconds on the clock or something. Yeah, we won the game. All right. Let's shake hands and get the hell out of there. But you know what, though? I, I, I hate to say this because this probably says, you know, bad about me, but I kind of like that stuff. I kind of I kind of like when – I don't like the vanilla stuff, so and I'm sure Dick or Mark probably did too. I mean, I, you know, and I just remember, you know, on the bus ride home, uh, night was just all all kind of fired up, and then eventually that wears off, and I think you fell asleep. You know what I mean? Like eventually you're all wired up, and next thing you know, you're snoozing. So yeah, yeah that was good, man. That was fun. Another minute or two with uh, Dan Dockage. Uh, you're a member of the media now, uh, doing a daily radio show. If you Enjoyed the challenge of uh, coming up with shows every day with, uh, up until just recently, no games to talk about? Yeah, it's been interesting. I, I, you know what? you do. I, I'm by myself, too, so I don't have a co-host, so I'm just sitting here making stuff up, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm defending general managers from the Colts from five years ago, trying to compare them to now, you know. And, you know I, but you know what? You know what? It, it is interesting that, that – um, People, and you, you guys know this, I mean, people kind of use us to get away from all this other stuff, but you have to talk about all this other stuff because all this other stuff is going on in society, whether it's COVID or social justice, it's, it's, it's tied into sports. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting, but I hope, I mean, look, I don't want anybody to get sick. 
uh, I want this pandemic over like everybody else does. I want a vaccine or whatever we got to do. But damn, do I need football to happen? I'm not going to lie to you. Everybody damn, does. Do that's 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 the key to everything. <laughs> right. Listen, right. Dan, you should get uh, Steve Kelly to come over there as a co-host. He takes a lot of the heat off. <laughs> that's that's what I need. I get I, you know I I get mouthy. I get stupid. Next thing you know, I got articles that get suspended. I mean. Yeah, I think it, it, people say it's the Bob Knight influence. No, it's my dad's influence. It's just, you know, Gary, Indiana is a is a place where we just all have big mouths and usually get punched in them at some point. <laughs> Andrean. Yes, yep. sir. Yes, sir. Hey, Dan, we appreciate your time. Thanks for doing that with us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Dan. You too. Dan Dockage from Indianapolis. Welcome in an Illinois Hall of Famer. Right now, Kendall Gill is with us from uh, Chicago Land. Good morning, KG. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We wanted to talk with you, as uh, you might guess, about uh, the passing of one of your favorite guys, one of our favorite guys earlier this week, and uh, Coach Lou Henson. You had a special relationship with him, not only coming out of high school and then uh, through your career here, and then, but uh, that went on long after your playing days were over and continues to this day. Yeah, and um, you know that uh, that uh, you know I never knew that I was going to form a a real real friendship with Coach after I got done playing, you know because of course you guys know when while while we were playing, uh, Coach Henson was a disciplinarian, um, no nonsense guy, and uh, you know he really didn't form bonds with his players uh, while we were uh, playing for him. You know, uh, but but we 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 respected him immensely. But you know, after I got done playing, I mean, he, I mean, I would talk to him on the phone. Um, you know, of course, you guys know we we raised a lot of money for Cunningham Children's Home uh, there in Champaign Urbana, and you know, uh, as well as a number of other causes. And uh, you know, when I was playing, I never went to Coach's house. But I can tell you, I went to his house a whole bunch after I, after I graduated and then was in the pros and, and even, you know, after I retired from the NBA and, uh, you know, he used to come out to my golf outing every year. Um, and, you know, he and Miss Henson and, and their family, you know, would actually want us to spend the night at their house. They wouldn't want us to stay in the hotels down there whenever we came down. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to miss Coach Henson, man. It's just uh, – you know, we all knew this was coming because the coach had struggled with so many uh, illnesses and everything over the years. But when it finally happened, it's just, you know, it's still devastating. You know, uh, Kendall, you brought up something that I hadn't thought about. I mean, he he really kind of kept a, uh, uh, a space between himself and the play. I, I remember when we went to uh, dinners and I was flying with the team, traveling with the team, and and um, he'd, he'd hang out with the sports writers and he'd hang out with the other people that came along. But he, he let the players pretty much uh, on their own. I mean, he, I, I think he felt like he couldn't get the discipline he wanted if, they, if you became too friendly with him. Is that true? That's, that's totally true. And, um, you know, he was right, you know, because you, you had to have the respect of your players. You had to have the discipline. And, uh, you know, sometimes we didn't like that because, you know, we were used coming from high school, being cl- really close to our coaches. We had no idea that Coach Henson was going to be close with us after we left the university, <laughs> you know, because uh, all of us, the Flying Illini, as well as like Doug Altenberger, Ken Norman, all of us still had 
uh, relationships with Coach, you know, after we got done playing. And he, and he did that by design, you know. And, uh, of, of course, you know, he had to maintain leadership, and, you know, that's the way that he did it. And But the other coaches like Jimmy Collins, uh, Mark Coombs, uh, Coach Nagy, yeah, even Miss Henson, you know, they they were the buffer for him. You okay. Know, you know, say for instance, say for instance, we some I like I'd have a tough game. You know, coach would pro- possibly be hard on me, but then you could always count on Miss Mrs. Henson saying, "Don't worry, keep your head up. Everything's going to turn around." You know, so they they had a perfect team together. I tell you, it was it was great. Well, now you uh, you kind of went into a slump toward the end of your first year, and I just wonder how did he handle that with you? How did you handle it? Because you came back the next year. I thought a different looking player and a different player. Yeah, um, actually, actually, I believe that was my sophomore year. Sophomore year, okay. It was, Sorry. Yeah, it was it was at it was at Iowa right. where I missed I missed like seven or eight three pointers, and it was a crucial game. And you know, the very next game, coach took me out of the starting lineup, and uh, you know, but I understood, but I understood that you know you you have to perform. Um, but the next year I came back, it was totally different, and that's the one thing about Coach Henson that that I can respect more than any other coach that I've ever played for is that he treated you the same one through 12. He treated Nick Anderson the same as he treated EJ Mansky, who was a, who was a walk on, you know, he did, he did not play favoritism. And you guys all know that uh, my junior year, when I, when I took that big leap forward, I really wasn't even supposed to be in the starting lineup at the beginning of the season. I mean, I, you know, you had Marcus coming in, Nick, Kenny Battle, um, Larry Smith, of course, and Steve Bardo, all those guys. But Coach did not play favoritism. If you earned it, he gave it to you. And if you didn't earn it, he took it away from you, which is which is what I can totally respect. Uh, and, and that's why I think that his players love him. Another couple of minutes with Kendall Gill. Let's talk current Illinois basketball. You've probably heard the news uh, last night. Io DeSumo has decided to come back for year three in Champaign-Urbana, Kofi Coburn making an announcement, and we expect him back as well. Your thoughts on hearing that? Well, I think it's great, you know, especially for the university, for Illinois basketball, um, for the fans, uh, because we thought, you know, both of those, both of those guys declared that they were uh, going to go to the pros, uh, you know, without an NCAA tournament run. Uh, because of the COVID situation, you know, it was difficult for, for Illini fans and for the alumni to fathom, you know, what could have been. Well, now hopefully if, if we get this pandemic over with, we'll find out uh, next season. You know, I actually I actually saw Io, his uncle lives right next door to me. And Friday when I was pulling in my garage, I actually saw him out there, you know, and he was out there shooting um, uh, around with a uh, uh, with a couple guys, and you know, I, I just walked up to the fence and I said, "Hey, you got to be careful about those Illinois guys." <laughs> and and uh, you know, he comes over, but he didn't tell me that that he was he was coming back uh, to school at that time. You know, I guess he wanted to keep it a secret and everything. And you know, I, I had a great time uh, chatting with him for a few minutes. Looks like he's physically developed even more. Uh, so we can look out for good things to come next season. I think you could have held your own in that pickup game in the driveway, couldn't you? Uh-huh. Eh, probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kendall, we always appreciate talking to you, and uh, we knew we absolutely wanted to do it on uh, this particular show. Thanks for making time for us. All right, guys, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I just want to say rest in peace, Coach Henson. And uh, I know Illini Nation, this was a, this was a bad week um, for us with his passing, but – 
if you guys all know Coach Henson, he'd be like, okay, the show must go on. Let's keep carrying on. That's Kendall Gill. Thank you, sir. All right, guys. You bet. Kendall Gill in Chicago as we hit uh, 10 o'clock, WDWS, WHMS, Champaign-Urbana, the show this week on both stations. We will continue till at least 11 o'clock. Let me tell you, now that uh, the first hour is in the books, how we'll handle hour number two. If you have been waiting to call in, you'll have an opportunity in hour number two. Coming up uh, after the break here at the top of the hour, we'll talk to uh, Norm Stewart, former Missouri basketball coach. Jeremy Warner from 247 Sports will join us at 10.15, and uh, Rod Cardinal scheduled at 10.30, and then we'll have time for an open line if you would like to jump in. So we'll take a break and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to hour number two of the show right here on WDWS and WHMS in Champaign-Urbana with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Thanks to Mary Henson for spending some time with us in the first hour, as did Mark Coombs, former Illini assistant coach, Dan Dockage from Indianapolis, and Illinois Hall of Famer Kendall Gill. More guests lined up for you here in hour number two, led off by former Missouri head basketball coach Norm Stewart, who is on the line with us, coached uh, Mizzou from 1967 to 1999, 634 career wins. Good morning, Coach. How are you, sir? Well, I'm good morning, and none of those wins came against Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few of the uh, 333 losses did, but there were some epic games, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking about uh, I've been thinking about it for last week, and uh, all the all the great things. But I hope we have time. There's one thing that. If you say Lou Henson to me and to my wife, it's just one thing. And, and uh, I want to send all my sympathies to the family and, and uh, say what a, what a pleasure it was for me to, to be with him and to get to compete against him. And we had a lot of good times. Had some, had some tough times, but we had a lot of good times. We had a lot of things in common, not only uh... – Hall of Fame basketball coaches, but you both had an experience with cancer. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Did that bring you uh, maybe a little bit closer together after you both retired from coaching? Well, the thing that brought Lou and Mary and Virginia and I together was that, unfortunate. we made something good out of a, an unfortunate circumstance. And something happened in Lou's family a disaster and something happened in our family was a disaster and it happened close fairly close together and from that point on Lou and and Mary and Virginia and I had a completely different relationship than one that we had before which was not was not the rosiest (laughs) because we were competing too hard against one another trying to beat one another in a in a basketball game but when that happened we became i I, we really became a a different couple different set of couples 
Well, Norm, this is Lauren. Uh, what was it that? Hi, Lauren. How you doing? I I still remember when I had a, a little tiny Travis uh, with me, my son, and and we sat right next to you at the final. I think it was the final four. I'm, I might have been a regional. Might have been. Five. We had Lou Henson's tickets. I remember, and they were right next to you. You you were, and Travis still remembers uh, all the things you said to him. Some of which I can't repeat. But <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, how did it come about that? Uh, you you had a uh, the the game in St. Louis as a as opposed to playing home and home. How did it, how did it come about that you started that series in St. Louis? Well, first of all, we're going to give Lou credit. Who was the athletic director then? Uh, well, it's either guy. either Coleman or Gunther. Yeah, it was Coleman. Okay, uh, and and they called me. Well, we owed uh, Lou, or they owed us a game. Uh, in Columbia, because uh, we had played in, in uh, Champaign. And so they came up with the idea that instead of coming back here, they would come to St. Louis. <laughs> and, you know, dodging, dodging just a little bit. Uh-huh. And I, you had Stepanovich, no that. wonder. <laughs> well, well, no, that's, that's kind of another story. <laughs> okay. We had, well, that is, that's part of the story. When, uh, we had Stepo. Uh, uh, Lou saw that as kind of a little bit of a change, but anyway, it was their idea to hold the Missouri-Illinois game in St. Louis, and what a wonderful idea it became, because that that got to be the series. I mean, that was a tough ticket, Lauren, as you know. You, uh, that, I had guys. I had friends, St. Louis restaurant guys. Say, hey, Norm, that's a tougher ticket than the World Series, yeah, uh, or a Cardinal game, you know. And so, anyway, it became a great thing, and that was their idea. Well, and, and it's turned out well, and that's coming back a little bit too, starting to bounce back a little bit. I just, I want to know for sure whether you got off the court before the uh, before Kiwan Garris shot that second free throw. That's what I want to know. Did you get off the court in time? I always abided by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know, more people, that game is still talked about uh, every place, isn't it? Everybody talks about that game. They'll run it every once in a while on uh, on the uh, some broadcast. And uh, that was truly, that was truly a tremendous game. You know, he was as good a free throw shooter as Illinois ever had, I think, almost. And, and uh, he missed two, yeah. and the game went overtime. And I think your reserves won that game, didn't they, Norm? You, you had uh, practically all reserves in there by the time the game ended. Almost all, almost all the reserves were in the game for us. And I remember saying after the game, I said, you know, we were into the uh, – sick and wounded then I said the, <laughs> the ladies were next and, you know when you're choosing who goes last we were down to the we had no there was nothing left you know visiting with Norm Stewart former Missouri coach another after the game comment that I remember from covering that series for so long came after the 1988 game in which uh, Illinois and the Flying Illini came from 20 20- some points down right before halftime to win that. And you mentioned after the ball game that that number 33 for Illinois, Kenny, had the perfect last name, Kenny Battle. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
You know, I think didn't you all didn't Illinois win seven in a row or something? Eight. Yeah, something like it was that. Eight. Seven yeah. or eight. <laughs> yeah, seven times. You know, and I kept thinking maybe if they beat us again, uh, we won't have this game. I won't have to endure this. <laughs> but uh, then we had a little turnaround, and I think we finally won a game or two. Yeah. But uh, it was easy to it was easy for the after game. I would just say. What did I say about last year's loss? <laughs> somebody'd say something. I'd say, "Well, put it down again." You know. Well, they always. Somebody told me that during that losing streak, that you you sometimes you'd come up the day of the game. Sometimes you'd come up by bus. Sometimes you'd come up by car. Sometimes you'd come up the same day. I mean, you, you tried everything, and and nothing would work during that period. Is that true? That is true. And then we finally found a restaurant that had the right food. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Norm, uh, the 1989 regional up in Minneapolis, boy, there were four teams in that one, weren't there? And you were the fourth team, actually, because you got eliminated the first day. But, man, Illinois beat uh, Syracuse and Louisville in that thing. And I, I've always felt like those were the best two back-to-back wins Illinois ever had in the tournament. Uh, you, you re- do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that in Minneapolis? Yeah. I was thinking it was uh, – uh, is that when we lost to UNI? Well, you lost to uh, Louisville. Yeah, yeah. You lost to Louisville in the uh, regional semifinal. In the in the regional semifinal. Yeah. Oh, uh, that one. You know, you try to forget those. Yeah. Let's talk about one that we won. <laughs> uh, you know, there uh, there must uh, have been twenty pro players. Were, there was. In those days, there were some good teams. I mean, and and even teams, but they were really good teams. All of them capable of winning the national championship. And I don't think at that time had they gone to sixty four. I don't believe we had gone to sixty four. I, I know I played one year and we didn't have to play, and we played Marquette in the first round, and they really weren't. They weren't that strong a ball club, but that was the type of competition that we had. That was one of Steepo's years. That was eighty, so I, I don't, I don't remember whether the eighty-nine was where they had the sixty-four field. Yeah, they, I believe they did then. And uh, how is your health yeah. these days? We mentioned that you you had a bout with cancer. Are you getting along okay? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Knock on wood. Uh, been able to uh, enjoy myself, and, and uh, I've got a project that I do uh, with high school basketball, and I really enjoy that. And uh, my friends have helped me. Uh, of course, like everything else, it takes finances to sponsor it. But but we have a uh, what's we call it the Norm Stewart Classic, and we bring in high school teams, boys and girls. And we play for 48 hours. We play all day, all night for 48 straight hours. Oh, wow. And every year it gets bigger and bigger. And last year we moved it. We were in a small college, which was tremendous for us, and fit the event perfectly. Last year we went over to the arena. We were on ESPN, and uh, it just keeps growing. The only thing that hasn't grown, uh, we haven't grown the sponsors enough, but we, 
We've, we're now in six states, and we can really, we have calls. We have 100 people on a waiting list. Uh, so that's, that, that keeps me occupied, and it's fun. And I, I started it. Gary Filbert was a, uh, an assistant coach of mine, and he and I were teammates. And we started it just for one reason, to bring people in to Columbia and coaches to play a game uh, in uh, Columbia, Missouri. And it's just grown and grown and grown. So it's been fun, and we keep it that way, that uh, we just bring the teams in, they play one game, uh, and we have we have teams playing at 2 o'clock in the morning. I didn't think anybody would play at 2 o'clock in the morning. We have more teams call want to play at 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, and quite honestly, I've seen a lot of games, but I've not seen the two or the four o'clock games. <laughs> hey, Norm, we appreciate your time. Uh, Mary wanted me, uh, Mary Henson wanted me to pass along her regards to you and your family, and uh, thanks for taking time to visit with us. We want to send her, Virginia and I send her our sympathies. And, uh, you know, I, I think about this. As Lou... What's going on? If I get, if I get there, if I hope I get the same place Lou will, great coach, great guy. But I know the first thing he's going to do, he said, "Now we can't play at your place." (laughs) (laughs) He would have played if you hadn't had Stepanovich. I'm, I'm sure of that. (laughs) Well, it's a great series down there, Norman. We appreciate the, the relationship that we built down there, and. You were, you know, you were always the bad guy, you know, here from in Champaign. People oh, saw you as the bad guy. You were, you got to be careful now. You're going to change your reputation being a nice guy. <laughs> I understand that. Ed, great fans in Illinois. Hey, Brian Underwood, uh, OK Stater. He's a good guy. He's a good coach. You guys, you've got a good one. And so I'm, I'm, I hope you all like him. Yep. Thanks, thanks, Norm. Thank you, Norm. We appreciate it very much. 10:18 is the time. We'll take a timeout and be back with more right here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on WDWS and WHMS in Champaign-Urbana. It is moving up on 10:21, and Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk rolls on with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, coming to you on both stations today: WDWS AM and WHMS. FM, Light Rock 97.5. We'll have the phone lines open for you if you'd like to join us and talk about anything that might be on your mind. Breaking news about Io DeSumo coming back, Kofi Coburn making his uh, declaration or announcement uh, coming up this afternoon. Cardinals game, again, postponed in Milwaukee because more Cardinals have uh, tested positive, so a lot going on. We welcome uh, our next guest and a former member of uh, our newspaper uh, staff here, the News Gazette, Jeremy Warner, most recently uh, and, and currently with the uh, Line Eye Inquirer, 247 Sports, and spent some time on the airwaves in Champaign-Urbana with our friend Stevie J at SJ uh, Broadcasting. Jeremy is with us this morning. Uh, Jeremy, how are you? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, nothing to talk about today, huh? <laughs> yeah, not much going on. And uh, we were talking, and you and I have talked about uh, – you know, coming up with radio shows in times when everything is on hold, we've managed to find a way to do it. it always something seems to happen, but uh, certainly some good news. Let's start with the I.O. thing. That came uh, 
uh, mid-evening last night, and a little bit of a surprise, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty surprised just because I kind of took the kid's word for it, right? I mean, he said he was kind of locked in. I, I believe he was, but I think he's just one that kind of puts his mindset to something. He stays on that until he makes the decision otherwise. Um, and, you know, you heard a little bit of buzz the last couple of days, but you just didn't know whether to believe it or not. Um, just because I think Iowa's deserved this opportunity at the NBA, I think uh, an NBA team would have invested uh, into him, whether that's getting drafted or a two-way contract or whatever it was. And who could blame him uh, for pursuing that opportunity, especially with it, with what's going on in the world? Uh, he's not certain if there will be a college basketball season, right? Or, you know, don't know if, uh, you know, everything will be – he'll have the same opportunity for gets injured uh, next year or something like that. Cause he obviously had to scare here. Um, but man, he solidified himself even more. So uh, as Milani legend coming back for a third year, I do think he can help himself. I hope he helps himself, but you know, since I made the decision, I just feel like it was the right decision uh, because he, his family, everyone around him uh, just is so deliberative of this. And, and they are very intelligent when it comes to this process and, uh, but obviously it changes the landscape of what Illinois basketball could be, assuming we get basketball. And I think a lot of fans are even more encouraged to do what they can to make sure we get basketball because, boy, year three of, of Iowa DeSumo puts Illinois in that Big Ten title race. And if you had Kofi to it today, which I, I don't know why he wouldn't come back at this point, um, I might have Illinois as my Big Ten basketball favorite, which is saying something in a conference with Iowa and Michigan State, Wisconsin, not to – and, you know, even adding all the depth of Michigan, Rutgers, everybody else. I mean, this is uh, this is a team that you can dream of uh, possibly winning banners if Kofi comes back. Dan Dockage was on with us earlier. He had he said if that all all happens, he would probably have him in the top five uh, nationally preseason. What about you? They can be in that conversation. You know, I know everybody talks about Final Four. Uh, I think you guys have, have seen teams that are Final Four worthy that just don't get there because the single elimination tournament happens. Uh, but uh, Illinois doesn't win Big Ten titles all that often in its history. I know uh, early 2000s, there's a heck of a run there. But, you know, a guy we're celebrating, Lou Henson, struggled to, to win them just because they're so difficult. But that's kind of how I measure success is, is are you competing for Big Ten titles and are you winning them? And I think this team is. And if you're winning a Big Ten title, you're probably a top five team at the end of the year. You're probably a one or two seed or uh, somewhere around there in the NCAA tournament. And, and then you can make a run. Um, and they got they got the, the closer. They got a superstar, a likely first or second team All-American. And if Kofi comes back, that's, that's another guy in that conversation. And then you add all the depth on the, on the perimeter, and it's, it's amazing uh, what Brad Underwood has built and the fact that you can bring those guys back um, it feels like Illinois basketball is back to where everybody wants it to be. Jeremy, uh, I wanted to talk to you about real quick about Lou Henson because you're a younger guy, and uh, I just wonder how your relationship developed with him because he, he was obviously gone by the time you became prominent in, in sports uh, locally. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, Lou was a story, right? I, you know, I'd read Horn's columns or I'd, I'd – you know, read uh, some of the history on him. So Lou was just kind of this this story to me of like that, okay, that's the guy who kind of built this. You know, me, when I was in junior high, high school, whatever, you know, it's it's Lon Kruger and Bill Self and Bruce Weber, and, and those are the kind of guys that I, I grew up with as like the Illinois basketball coaches. Um, but I always knew Lou was the kind of guy, he was the guy who built it, right? You, you go back to the flying Illini, and um, that's what he always was to me. 
Uh, but when I got here and, and went to school here and obviously became part of the media, and I think what's come through today is uh, Lou is Illinois basketball, he is Champaign-Urbana. Just the impact he had not only on the athletics program and, and what are they without those basketball teams in the 80s, what is Illinois basketball without those teams in the 80s, um, and, and then just to know what people said about him as a man. Um, that, that's what's amazed me the most this week is – I haven't heard a bad story about Lou. I haven't heard about a bad, you know, um, experience around Lou. Everybody, he and Mary just made feel important, like they knew you. Uh, and that includes me. I mean, I've had him on the radio before, and they, they just couldn't be nicer, and they just made you feel important and feel warm. And uh, I think he had that impact on so many people um, across this that, you know, for a Hall of Fame coach and a guy who means so much to two uh, towns in this country, Las Cruces and, and Champaign, uh, it's amazing that, you know, people talk more about him as a man as, than the coach. But I, I think that's a credit to, to Lou. And uh, obviously, Warren, you know, um, he, he got Illinois basketball out of a bad place and into uh, the, the most prominent decade, um, most likely, from, from start to finish of a decade uh, in Illinois basketball history. And without Lou, uh, I, I don't know if 2000s, early 2000s happened or or whatever, just because he set that foundation. You know, uh, it wasn't easy either. I think uh, we tend to remember only the, the good parts. But if you go back to the late 70s, uh, there were people kind of getting on his case, you know, because Illinois was, yeah. you know, ha they were struggling to try to get over 500 in the league. And and uh, I think uh, what I think I looked at, I think there was something like 39 and 53 for his first five years in the Big Ten. They were, they were below 500, but uh, – he finally turned it, and, and uh, as you point out, all those games now we, we just forget. It's the man, it's the person, and, and that's, what, uh, that's why I, I bring up the, the, the comparison between he and Knight. Knight got the better recruits, Knight won more games, but Lou Henson goes out, I think, the better man, and cause that's a, a one yeah. person's opinion, but what's your thoughts about that? No, you're right. I mean, Lou Henson's got a court named after him. Lou Henson could come back to Champaign whenever he wants. That wasn't the case with Bobby Knight, right? And at the end of the day, um, you can have wins, you can have all these things, but if you're if you're not, um, you know, a man of integrity, all those things, then then it doesn't matter, um, you know. And and Lou is obviously a man of integrity and just a, you know, one person just told me a darn good man, uh, and I think that's just the the best way. And I I hope people are talking about me when I go out like that, all, all those different things, because um, that that's a life well lived. If if people are missing you and talking about you like people are talking about Lou this week. Another couple of minutes with uh, Jeremy Warner. Your day-to-day -day operations are changing a little bit. Uh, you were on the radio, as I mentioned, for uh, 10 years or so with uh, Stevie J and his uh, group of stations over there, and you're signed off for the last time yesterday. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, just a, a big life change, but uh, obviously, you know, the, the world has changed, and there are so many local businesses changing, and it's obviously impacted the media industry and all of that, and, um, you know, I just I just decided that uh, time is my most important currency uh, right now, and, you know, I got a one-year-old daughter, a four-year-old boy, and, and a wife who has supported me throughout this, and, you know, logging uh, an extra four or five hours a day, you know, preparing for and doing a radio show on top of a job that's uh, is not is more than an eight hour 40 hour week job um you know probably working 10 12 hours a day on that it just it adds up and i uh, just uh, want to spend more time with them and just be a little bit more flexible 
in my day-to-day. So, uh, yeah, I signed off on Friday for the last time, uh, which was a great run with SGA Broadcasting. And, and you guys know Stevie J well, I know that. And uh, he just gave a 23-year-old kid uh, a great opportunity uh, to come back to Champaign, the town I love, uh, and uh, cover Illinois, talk sports, get into the radio business, which I never thought I'd get into, uh, but also allow me to pursue other opportunities with writing, with rivals, and then 24-7 sports. And uh, he just opened the door uh, for me to, to do what I'm doing today. And I, I couldn't be more appreciative, and I couldn't be more appreciative to all our listeners over the years for for hanging out with Lante and I in the afternoons for seven years, and then uh, Austin Burke on the nine in the mornings for the last three years. And uh, appreciate all of them for, for caring and, and listening in and I uh, just had a blast with it, but uh, just going a different direction. Now, with 247 Sports, you're all over recruiting. Tell me how you evaluate the recruiting by Illinois, which has always been kind of disappointing in terms of uh, football particularly, and yet uh, Lovey's been able to pick up some transfers. I mean, have the transfers offset the failures to recruit high school players? I think you got to ask me after we play games this season. But he certainly, uh, when you're struggling in high school football recruiting, and there's no doubt uh, Illinois wants to do better and needs to do better with high school recruiting. Lovey still wants to build this program uh, through high school recruiting. But the level of talent they've gotten the last two years, you want to get more of that high-level you know, top 600 talent. Um, I think this, this staff knows what it's looking for. I think they're pretty good at evaluating uh, talent and they know what traits they want and can develop. Um, but I got to say, given that the high school recruiting isn't quite where you want it to be, I think Lovey's a little bit of a trailblazer uh, with, with this transfer recruiting, and I'm really interested uh, to see how it works. I mean, with a one-year sample size, it was a, a great success. Um, you know, the best players on the team last year mostly were, were transfers and mostly multi-year guys, and they are guys that, as you know, Lauren and Steve, watching this team, they look different, they play different uh, than some of the recruits Illinois has gotten here recently. So I would much rather invest, you know, five to, well, I guess they're doing ten scholarships a year in some of these very talented transfers who just need another opportunity than taking a flyer at any of these classes on some guys that don't have great offer lists or you're just hoping turn out to be good players. Uh, because one, the, the hit rate's lower on those high school players, and, and number two. Um, you don't have to invest as many years of scholarships in them. So you kind of turn these over. But I know some people are worried about the sustainability of the transfer portal, which is which is totally fair. But you see what they've added. I mean, a defensive tackle that's going to start for him in Roderick Perry, an offensive lineman that's going to start for him in Blake Jarosati, two wide receivers that they think are going to be really good for them. And, and if they can get them eligible, they'd be great. Daniel Matorbebe uh, makes Illinois one of the best tight end groups uh, in the Big Ten. So uh, I think it just makes them – it made 2019 certainly better. I think they've made the 2020 roster uh, certainly better, uh, and it gives them a much better chance of winning. Uh, can they keep doing it year after year? Based on how many transfers are running the portal, guys, uh, I think it does. And I, I think for an NFL coach who's used to going out and getting what he wants on the open market and free agency, uh, I think this appeals to him a lot where you had a more mature uh, player, maybe a player who wouldn't have considered you out of high school but is – looking for something different, looking for opportunity. Um, maybe you get a chance to add them. And uh, when you're adding guys like Luke Ford and, and, and top talent like that, Brandon Peters, who's a top 100 talent, um, you're still getting the peak years uh, of these guys. So I know it doesn't show up in the recruiting ranking, which everybody just kind of looks at, 
But if it shows up in the win column, that's all Lovey Smith cares about. And the thing about it is, in, in the future, you may be able to get transfers who are automatically eligible, which will make a big difference. Yep. And you, you'll have a ton more. Uh, and, and, you know, there's still going to be some players available right now because you've got schools that aren't going to have football, you know, that have players. And we've already done that in terms of uh, the defensive tackle we just brought in. But, in, Jeremy, Absolutely. thanks for coming on and, and uh, a great run for you, the 10 years, a uh, great run uh, on radio. Uh, Warren and Steve, thanks for having me anytime. Hopefully we'll see you in the press box here uh, in the next month or so for a football game. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would. Uh, hope- hopefully we can uh, watch a practice and socially distance coming up. I think, I think we all have a need, uh, even for some of those hot days in uh, camp. I think we're all kind of jonesing for some kind of sports action, but we'll see on that front. Appreciate it, Jeremy. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. You bet. Jeremy Warner from uh, 24-7 website, Illini Inquirer. A lot of good recruiting news there if you'd like to check that out. It is 1035. We'll take a break and be back with more right here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Welcome back to the show as we roll on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. This is Steve Kelly. Busy uh, morning so far. We've had uh, guests like Mary Henson, Mark Coombs, Dan Dockage, Kendall Gill, Norm Stewart, the former Missouri basketball coach, Jeremy Warner, just spent some time with us, and we're happy uh, to welcome into the program another old friend, Rod Cardinal, 46 years on the staff at the University of Illinois, worked with eight basketball coaches, of course, including Lou Henson. Good morning, Rodney. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you today? We're doing good, and uh, one of the people I thought of in preparing this show was you to uh, talk about Lou Henson. You have probably many more stories behind the scenes than you'd care to tell. Does Rod go back that far? Rod goes back <laughs> that far. The now retired, finally retired uh, Rod Cardinal. Uh, but let's get uh, some of yeah. your thoughts on uh, you, you knew that uh, Lou was not in good health, as we all did. But still, it was a sad day earlier this week when uh, the word got out about his passing. Well, no doubt. And, you know, I... I you know, the listening to your show this morning, and I talked with Mary on uh, Monday, and just the uh, the trip down memory lane of so many different things. Um, I was so fortunate to be able to uh, work with him. Uh, Coach made me a better athletic trainer from almost the first day because um, he was, you know, he was old school, but he wasn't afraid to learn new things and. Um, I just, uh, he was so well thought of and well prepared that, you know, if he didn't like what I was telling him on an injury or didn't believe me, he could call a, a doctor in any part of the country and just say, uh, you know, is this deal for real or what's going on? And, uh, you know, I can remember very vividly that uh, taking home one of our team physicians' medical books to learn more about a thoracic outlet syndrome that Andy Kaufman was struggling with and figuring out how we were going to try to deal with that and then present it to coach and the staff at an injury report. So he, he made me a better athletic trainer um, all the way around. And you were kind of the guy that uh, could get closer to the players probably even more than the coaches because you had probably had more of their time than the coaches did along the way, didn't you? Yeah, we, yeah, I spent an enormous amount of time. I mean, they were like a second family to me, you know, with, with my kids and then those guys is – 
you know, some of them at the same, at that point in time, similar ages. Uh, uh, so yeah, we spent a lot of time with them, learned, uh, learned a lot about the guys, uh, uh, sometimes more than I wanted to know. Um, I, I still kid some of them that, you know, you guys need to pay me not to write a book because, uh, <laughs> you know, I could be a very profitable uh, deal for me. So, <laughs> Well, Rod, I, I think that the relationships that Lou had, he seemed to have a, a, a really good relationship with everybody uh, around, including you. But, you know, he had a different relationship with the players. I was interested in talking to Kendall Gill yeah. about that. But he, he kind of kept a, a step away on the players. He, he, if he's going to hand down discipline, you can't be buddy-buddy and, 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 and do that. And I, I, did you, Were you aware of that? I mean, is that apparent to you? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, very definitely. And, you know, I was in the center of some of the, you know, those discipline discussions because, uh, you know, he coach would get mad when somebody got hurt and, you know, it, it was always because, you know, they, they just, you know, they weren't tough enough. They weren't strong enough. <laughs> and he'd look over at me and, you know, say, coach, you know, you got to get them in better shape. You got to do this. You got to do that. And just, you know, bring me into that equation and I'm walking out of the building like, you know, my God, I've screwed this up. Well, then he'd call me at night and say, you know, don't, don't worry too much about it. I just need to make a point with the guys. And, uh, you know, I can't be their friend and be their coach at the same time. And I think all of their guys, Kendall, all those guys will tell you that, you know, when coach didn't, they didn't like what coach was telling them to do. They were headstrong superstars in high school. And, um, and all that stuff. And yet, you know, now as grown men with their own families, you know, coach Henson's um, philosophies and comments and stories and stuff are handed down to, you know, their kids. And Lauren, I can still go out. I got an eight year old grandson that lives near here and I go out in the driveway with him and I tell him how to post up and be strong, get your elbows out, get your butt down, you know, and, and all the things that coach would tell, you know, Ken Norman and Derek Hol Holcomb and everybody about different aspects of play so here I am you know all these years after having worked with him and I'm still you know using his philosophy to, to deal with grandkids you know after we've interviewed you so many times and it always comes back to Ephraim Winters and, and the night spent with him or Hamilton in mm -hmm. the final four and you know mm -hmm. the, the fact that we had to play not just play Kentucky at Kentucky and what was that? Nineteen eighty-four was Four. that? Yep. It was eighty-four. Mm -hmm. And um, not only had to play him there, but we also had to play. Uh, you had to stay up all night with Ephraim to get him ready to play, sure. didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I moved him into my room so that I could, uh, you know, treat him, you know, on a regular basis, and uh, you know, so many of those things. But you know, Lauren, that was again that was part of becoming a better athletic trainer because coach. You know, coach had high expectations for that. And, and, you know, he held you accountable for your job. And, uh, you know, I knew that those were some of the things that I had to be involved with. And, you know, some of them I was successful with and our team was successful with some they weren't, but, uh, I know he appreciated that. And that was one of the things that I think I was able to build a lot of trust with coach was that, you know, after a while I became a little smarter and he became a little more patient and we were able to do some things like that. Visiting with Rod Cardinal, I bet in the last few months you've been thinking a lot about your former colleagues in the uh, athletic training business and what uh, they're dealing with now with this pandemic, uh, certainly some tough times. 
uh, incredibly tough times, and it's impacted so many people on so many different levels. And I, I feel for those in in the medical profession dealing with with uh, athletes who are, you know, by and large, you know, want to be active, want to be going doing the stuff, they want to be practicing, want to be preparing. And, you know, you don't get a second chance with other people's health. You have to, you know, make the correct decisions based on whatever information that you're dealing with. And um, I just come back from Minnesota and was reading about their athletic trainer with the Vikings as they began camp and all the things that he had to go through uh, preparing for the team. And then he comes down with the illness himself. Oh, man. So uh, it's just uh, it just uh, is incredible what this virus has done to us and to the world and to every aspect of our lives. So I guess we should assume that your uh, retirement's going to take this time, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think Josh is going <laughs> to let me come back any more time. They took away my keys and my ID card, so uh, <laughs> uh, I'm kind of stuck at Bales Lake and Loda. <laughs> well, Rod, I appreciate your time. Always good to visit with you, and uh, when you get down this way, look us all up, and we'd, we'd love, to get, love to get together with you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about Coach, you guys. Thank you so much for including me. You bet. That's Rod Cardinal. All right. And uh, he's going to be part of a special broadcast that Ed Bond is helping put together that's going to air sometime now this coming week, right, Ed? Yeah. Uh, Rod Cardinal will be on the program. It was actually a program that Jim Turpin and I put together 24 years ago, and we broadcast it 24 years ago. That was at the time of... Coach Henson's retirement, and uh, we have a whole bunch of people on there with memories of Lou, and the thing is, it stands out just as well today as it did 24 years ago, maybe even better because of what some of the people say about Coach Henson and remembering, uh, remembering the man and how he impacted his players and people around him. So that'll be on sometime next week, right? I believe it's going to be on Thursday evening. Okay. Uh, we'll start promoting it on Monday. But it's, uh, it's narrated by Jim Turpin, who, of course, was the longtime uh, play-by-play announcer along with Lauren Tate for all those years. And I was along for the ride for many of the years of the, you know, Lou Henson, we broadcast games home and away. So it, it's a, a really good program, I think. And we're going to, you know, get it together, and we're going to air it just as it aired 24 years ago. I can't imagine... You know, Coach was here for 21 years, and this is farther back than he was as a coach here. But the program was – and the other thing that's amazing to me listening to it, it was put together without computers. It was all done live to tape. (laughs) So it's an interesting program uh, from that that standpoint. So I I think it's a good program, and we're going to rebroadcast it, I believe, this Thursday night. We'll start promoting it on Monday. Good stuff. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. We do have some time now for open line calls. If you'd like to join us, we'll do that. Uh, let's say hi to Mike in Muhammad, who has been hanging on. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, Steve. Um, I, this is really for Lauren. Back when Lauren and Jim were doing the post-game interviews at Illinois Games, there was a game I can't remember who we were playing, but we were behind by like uh, one point, and there were a few seconds left. Lou calls a timeout. They send the team back in, and the team kind of stumbles the ball, doesn't do anything. In the post-game interview, Lauren asked him, well, Lou, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And Lou very calmly said, and this is the way I always remember him, 
Lauren, you know, they don't always do what we <laughs> ask them to do. Do you remember that, Lauren? Oh, sure. <laughs> there, that's very true, too. You know, you, yeah. you got this play called up in the huddle, and then you come, come out of the huddle, and something else happens. Yeah. I just loved his reaction. It yeah. was perfect. And thank that's, you. Yep, that's, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. 1047, we'll take a break. If you do have some uh, thoughts on anything going on, uh, the Io DeSumo announcement coming back to the U of I, Kofi's upcoming announcement at 1 o'clock, Lou Henson, Major League Baseball, anything is open if you'd like to join us. And we'll take a time out and be back with more after this. Ten fifty, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, WDWS, WHMS. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly, and we've been rolling since uh, 9 o'clock. Just uh, contacted uh, Brad Underwood. We're going to get his thoughts on Io DeSumo's decision, but he's on uh, the golf course playing uh, in light rain right now in Champaign-Urbana. Yeah, but, uh, and uh, he's very happy today because Iowa's coming back, and we're going to get a similar announcement, we think, at 1 o'clock from uh, Kofi. So if you have any comments on that or Lou Henson or anything else, Major League Baseball, if you hadn't heard, the Cardinals game today against Milwaukee has been postponed. Four more um, members of the Cardinal traveling party, Cardinal personnel, we're not sure if they're exactly players or not, but certainly doesn't matter. Uh, but they're with the traveling party, have tested positive. So today's game is off. I would guess tomorrow's uh, scheduled doubleheader is in jeopardy as well. We'll see how that uh, plays out. Let's go uh, to the phones. The phone line is open, 356-9397. Rick in Champaign, you're up. Uh, go right ahead. Uh, thank you very much. Great show. Uh, enjoyed it very much and uh, honoring a great coach. Um, I've always wanted to ask you guys, do you know, did we ever um, – recruit Brian Cardinal or was it kind of known that he wanted, you know, to go uh, somewhere else uh, well, to school kind of to get out of Dodge? You know, Rod would be able to answer that better than me, but yes, we recruited him. And then there was a point when we got Blackwell out of uh, New York uh, who played that position. And I think Lou and, and uh, Rod sat down and, and they determined that it would be better if he uh, went elsewhere, because you know he Lou didn't want to have didn't want him to be on the bench, and at that point sure. we didn't know how good uh, Cardinal was going to be, and he he went to Purdue. I mean Purdue could Katie couldn't believe that uh, that he was available, and uh, because uh, you know he said we're not going to recruit him if he wants to go to Illinois. Well, when that happened, Katie uh, Katie took him, and the thing that happened uh, he he redshirted him one year. And then the guy just developed tremendously and was an outstanding player and played in nine consecutive wins over Illinois for Purdue. Yeah. But yeah. It, was, it was up for discussion, and, and it, was a, it was something that Rod and, and, uh, and Coach uh, decided uh, in a sit-down. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, Rick, we appreciate the call. Let's move along to uh, Steve in Princeton. Good morning, Steve. Yes, I got a question for Lauren. He's well documented that Lou's first contract was for $30,000. And I just can't believe that how a man could uh, be so generous and so forth, starting at 30000 What would his last contract have been 21 years later before all these multi-million dollar contracts came out? Several hundred thousand, but I can't remember. I, that, you know, and I, the reason the, the, the 30000 and and other people know this better than me, but... 
He went to Oklahoma, and they offered him the same contract that they said that Barry Switzer was receiving to coach football. And they said that Barry was receiving 30. Lou always laughed. He said they said he got 30. I know he got more, but they offered Lou 30, and it was supposed to be the same as Switzer. And then when he came to Illinois, in order for Illinois to get him, they had to offer the same thing Oklahoma did. And, and uh, Cecil Coleman was so tight it was unbelievable. <laughs> the pennies in his pockets uh, <laughs> complained. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes, he, he, that, that's what he, and, and much, he got a, he, he got tremendous contracts uh, later on, not as big as they are today, not the multi-million dollar contracts, but uh, all those years he coached at, uh, at uh, New Mexico State after he left here, he got good salaries after the first year when, when he only took $1 per month. He, he thought he was, you know, he served as what he called a, he was stepping in when McCarthy got in trouble and they had to have somebody overnight. He, he took over the job and agreed to do it for a dollar. But then after that, he was paid normally in, in the ensuing years all the way up to 96. But I just admire him because it appears he lived a very simple and modest lifestyle. He wasn't one of these guys, you know, places here. He owned lake houses and traveled worldwide. I mean, he never took vacations, so I, th- I admire him for being a very humble and frugal man. Well, his vacation would be going from here to, the, to Las Cruces or from Las Cruces here. If, you know, if he'd been here for a while, he'd go down there. He had homes in both places. He, had a, he has a condo down there, and he had a home here. But I don't think he played much golf either. He so said he didn't have time to. He's always Not till he retired. He, he, he played a lot of golf when he retired. Yeah, he, he didn't take the game up until he retired, basically. Yeah, right. Say once he said, "If I play golf, I'll get fired." So he said, "I better spend my time with basketball." Yeah. Okay, Steve. Thanks. We appreciate the call. Let's go back to the phones. I thought we might hear from this next gentleman, Quinn Richardson, former Illini basketball player and uh, one of uh, Lou Henson's favorite guys. Quinn, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, really good, Stephen. Good morning to you and Lauren. Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you. Your thoughts on uh, the news this week? You knew. Uh, as we all did, that uh, Lou was in failing health, but still hits kind of hard, doesn't it? Oh, yes. You know, it hits really, really hard. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, Coach was such such a great man, and he, he lived an awesome life. So I really enjoyed spending time with him. And, you know, a couple of my fondest memories were uh, – uh, uh, you know, I like the comment that the one gentleman had just said about, hey, they don't always do what you want them to do. But he had told me something about uh, we had lost or Illinois had lost the game to uh, Michigan, right, by one point. Coach, it was 10 seconds to go. A line I had the ball. Uh, and I don't know if it was Michigan. It could have been Michigan State or someone. But, but, but he called the play with 10 seconds to go, and the play didn't work. And uh, – he said afterwards that Sunday was practicing at the assembly hall. It was three three days after, right? Because they played on a Thursday, and and he said one of the big alums came up to him and said, "Coach, you know we really, really, really wanted to beat Michigan, and I was so disappointed about the game. We had a shot at the end there, but you know, Coach, I didn't like that play that you called." <laughs> and then Coach Henson said, "Well, you know, Albert." If I had three days to think about it, I would have <laughs> <laughs> so, so, 
coattail, you know, a way worse. So I came down once, uh, and Lauren, I may have seen you over at the uh, uh, bowling alley for lunch a few times and had lunch with Coach and his yep. buddies and some of his bridge buddies, yourself, Ken Brown, and, and others. So, but I came down for a, a football game, and Miss Henson asked that me and Andre, my little nephew, stay at their house, and the hospitality was great. And, you know, my deepest sympathy and prayers go out for Miss Henson and her entire family uh, for their loss and for the loss of uh, Illini Nation as well. But so one of the cool things was that uh, I got up that morning. I'm an early riser, and I was going to make some coffee, <laughs> and I see Coach out on the uh, 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 his patio back there doing some stretches, moving a few little really, really light dumbbells. And he came back in. He said, yeah, Quinn, well, I've been up. You know, he was an early riser. He said, I've been over at Brownlee Hall. I swam for about, you know, 20 minutes to 30 minutes, and now I'm doing a little stretching because he was always an advocate uh, uh, staying in uh, good health. And I think that helped him out over the years, too, when he had fell ill. I think Miss Henson had mentioned that as well, but we sat down before uh, for about two hours, and we just had some coffee and just talked about life. We never talked about basketball. Later, his nephew came over, Coach Mark Coons, and they went over to the football game and set up in the press box. Because <laughs> I said, Mark, where are you guys sitting? He said, Oh, we're going up to the press box. I said, Okay, well, look. I won't see you guys again and, you know, enjoy the game and everything. So, you know, Coach Henson was just such a great person, and he really cared for you as an individual after you played at the University of Illinois. And I think that's special because, you know, a lot of coaches love you when you're playing for them and you got eligibility. But when you, you know, are not winning games, but just that relationship that you have. So I just uh, thank you guys for having me on. I just wanted to mention those couple of little things there. One thing that Mark Coombs mentioned that Lou had uh, the great ability to make a player feel two inches tall without cussing at him. Can you confirm that? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. He, you know, coach was just a gentleman, and and um, you know he always tried to uh, put in us. He spent a lot of time with us and about doing the right thing and earning a living in life. So. Um, I really appreciated the time, and you could see it was really sincere in him, too, that he wanted you to be the best you could be as a person on the basketball court and off the court. And so, you know, I take my hat off to that. And, and, and I just say, you know, my memories of Coach will, you know, never fade. And uh, I was just glad to spend a lot of time with him over the last, say, seven seven years or so, and with his wife, Mary Henson, who is just a, a genuine, just a genuine person. Good to hear Friendship. from you, Quinn. Thank you very much. Thank you. you Bye. Bet. Thank you, Jim. Bye. Quinn Richardson, with us, one of my favorite Lou stories. I've got a lot of favorite stories. Well, he redshirted that key year. And yeah, he did. He came back as a fifth-year senior, made all the difference in the world on that team. Because he could shoot. They had guys that could do all the other stuff. They had the athlete. He wasn't the greatest athlete. But he was a guard that was always open, it seemed like, and he could make the shot. In producing and hosting a loose TV show, I have a lot of interesting and very memorable moments there. But one of my favorite in-game things is the story that Deion Thomas told when Lou had been told to sit down by the referees. 
he wrote a note, gave, <laughs> gave the note to Dion to take to the referee, telling him he's not calling a very good game. <laughs> and you know who shot? That's very creative, I thought. You know who shot the technical foul free throws? Jess Settles. I That's took, right, yeah. I took Jess over to see Lou this last season. Jess was in town early and went to practice. Didn't have anything to do that night, and we were in touch. He said he'd like to see Lou. I said, I can arrange it. And, and we went over and sat with Lou for an hour and a half or so, and Jess really enjoyed it. And um, he, he brought up that incident that you're talking about, and Jess said, yeah, I was the one who shot the free throw. <laughs> Obviously, we've gone past the 11 o'clock. We'll keep rolling on as long as we get some calls. Let's go to Marty down in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Lauren. Great, great, great show. I uh, I actually have a Lou Henson story. Okay. Uh, I was fresh out of college in 1979. My first job was at Villa Grove High School, and I worked for the Hall of Fame football coach Russ Gear. And uh, Russ uh, was a taskmaster and a great man. Um, he didn't want to be the basketball coach, and I didn't realize that. Uh, the, the, I was supposed to be the junior high coach. And the high school coach took a job at Newton in August, and they couldn't find someone to teach English and coach basketball. So he came and asked me, and I turned it down. He came and asked me again, and I said, yep. And uh, during football practice, uh, not during practice, before practice one day, I got a call from the ro Rotary president who said Lou Henson was coming down to talk to the Rotary Club and they'd like me to come as their guest. So I said, yes, if I can get Coach Gear to let me go from practice early, and he did. And I showed up and, uh, and was introduced to Lou when he got there. That Evidently, one of the faculty uh, guest coaches uh, w lived in Villa Grove, and he had gotten Lou to come down. And I introduced myself, and I told him I, I, I've, uh, I was just at last year at the game where you guys beat uh, Magic Johnson, and uh, Eddie Johnson made that shot at the end of the game, that kick from Steve Lanner, and it was just thrilling, and the place went nuts. I said, I thought you were going to be number one in the country. I said, but I came back that Saturday and I watched Ohio State upset you at home, and he goes, did you have to bring that up? I was just starting to like you. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he went on and gave a speech, and he called me up uh, in front of the crowd while he was speaking, put an arm on my shoulder, and proceeded to tell those people what a wonderful coach they'd gotten <laughs> and that I was going to do a wonderful job, a great job. I knew my basketball, et cetera. He didn't know you from and Adam, huh? Didn't know me from Adam. Made me feel just great. <laughs> I'm like, I felt like I was going to be a great coach. And uh, I couldn't believe how he could make you feel like you had known him your whole life. And he seemed so damn sincere about it. He just made you feel good. And then after the thing was over, and I can't believe he had to be in practice by then in October, I'd, I'd say, we sat down and talk basketball for a while, and he pulled some napkins off a pen and was drawing stuff on napkins, which I picked that habit up. I spent the rest of my life, and my first wife, just, she, she was mad at me because all the time I'd be pulling napkins off and writing things on them, and I picked that habit up from him. 
every restaurant he could, that he attended made sure they had uh, no cloth napkins for Lou. <laughs> he had to have paper napkins because oh, yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd ruin the other napkin. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I had as much fun, and I never met anyone who could make you feel so at home with him and and like you'd known him for a lifetime uh, as Lou Henson. And he... he he did a, a wonders for my ego that night, I'll tell you that. And he was just a great, great man. Good stuff, Marty. We appreciate your call. Yep. Lou Henson yep. has never met a stranger. That's one thing I've always said about no. Lou and uh, Mary. Just, just a great human being. Thanks, Marty. And we were damn lucky to get him in Illinois. You're right. Let's move along and say hi to Alan in Montrose. Go ahead, Alan. Well, guys, uh... Very fortunate to have a Lou Henson, like everybody says. Uh, we were at a very low time in basketball, and he brought us back. Took a while, but he brought us back. And uh, as I got to meet him in Springfield uh, at the ba- first basketball game when they was doing the renovation at the State Farm, I got to talk to him there a little bit. He didn't know me from Adam. I was, Lou, I finally get to meet you, and he talked to me about five minutes, five minutes more than most people would. It just seems uh, kind of ironic. We lost three really good coaches this year from the basketball, the line of basketball family, Tony Yates, uh, Harsh Schmidt, and Lou. And uh, <clears throat> they had a big impression on me over the years, and uh, really appreciate it. And maybe we can move forward here with I own Kofi coming back. Okay, Alan, good stuff. Thanks for uh, taking the time to call. It's 11.07. We'll take a break. If we have some more calls, we'll put them on. We're running a little bit over time, but we'll do that as long as the phone rings, 356-9397. We'll take a break and be back with more after this. Moving up on 11:10 on WDWS News Talk 1400 and Light Rock 97.5 WHMS. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk in overtime, and uh, we'll move along here. Take a few more calls. Thanks to our guests that we've had so far. Let's go to Brian calling in uh, from Bloomington. Go ahead, Brian. I can't remember the year. Maybe Lauren or you would probably may have done the game, Steve. But you just had Quinn Richardson on. And Quinn Richardson had an exceptional game. And I'm not sure if it was national TV or what back then, but I know they interviewed Quinn after the game. And he was so elegant and how he spoke and so forth. And I sent Coach Henson a note uh, saying how, what an image Quinn made representing the University of Illinois basketball program on TV and how uh, elegant he was and so forth. And Lou Henson sent me a personal note that I still have thanking me for uh, the support I gave to the program and so forth. But, I mean, I was just amazed how a man with time restraints and everything took time to personally write me a note and sign it and thank me for uh, encouraging the players. Certainly the kind of guy Lou Henson uh, was, and Mary Henson's the same way. Anything else on your mind, Brian? No, it was just that I wanted to, that's the kind of guy Lou was. He had the time to write personal notes, even though he never knew me, never met me. You know, he acknowledged my note and had time to take it and thought it was worthy enough to 
write a note and put it in the mail to me. But Quinn was exceptional that night, I remember. Yeah. Very good. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate the call. I reminded Mary a little bit ago before she left Mary Henson that 32 and a half years ago in the in January of 1988, um, when our son was born, she and Lou gave Patrick a little outfit, little Illini onesie outfit <laughs> that uh, we still have in the family. And Patrick, just two months ago, as you guys know, uh, gave birth to his first child, Hudson. Hudson will now proudly wear that. Uh, oh, still got it, huh? He still got it. And Hudson's got some other uh, Illini stuff, too. But it's kind of cool that uh, we're able to pass that down. Let's go to Mike in Champaign. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, yes, uh, Lauren and Steve. When when I was in public accounting practice years ago during Coach's tenure, he he and Mary used my partner Lowell Garner to do their tax work, and they were always doing it later in the year because early in the year didn't work in Coach's schedule. So it happened to be after the NBA draft, and they were in Lowell's office which was right next to mine. And at the end of their time in there with him about their income taxes, and they came out, I had my eye open. So I stepped out in the hall and said hello to coach. And I said, hey, coach, I said, you know, I pay a lot of attention to basketball, and I can't believe that the Boston Celtics used the third pick in the draft to draft Kevin McHale from Minnesota because I've watched him play, and I just don't think he's that good. And in Coach's very gentle, nice way, says, Mike, he's going to be a great pro. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he's in the Hall of Fame now. <laughs> when they picked that 50 greatest players ever, he was in that group. <laughs> Coach knew talent. He really did. But it, you know, he could have said, you're full of whatever. But he says, Mike, he's just going to be a great player. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. So that's my Lou Henson story, and I'll – Take it with me forever. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you sharing that. Three five six nine three nine seven is the number if you'd like to jump in. The lines are open right at the moment. Got some uh, activity on the lines now, so stay with us. But if you're just tuning in, we've had a busy morning remembering Lou Henson. We started off the day with news of Io DeSumo last night that kind of came of it as a surprise. The timing of it, at least, we knew he had until Monday to. Well, uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know, it was announced that you could pull out right now and you could still you could still turn pro if you want to turn I mean but he's definitely he's definitely coming back but there that that, that whole thing's kind of confusing the draft date was moved and and is there going to be a combine well maybe there's going to be a combine maybe there isn't you know it would Iowa have a chance to show what he could do in a combine and was Kofi going to be in the combine and it was announced he was going to be and then that he's going to be invited then it was announced that he wouldn't be invited there's so much confusion going on and here's what I think about Io. Maybe he doesn't see himself someday as a coach. If you're not a coach and you're 35 years old, you need a job. If you have an education, you have a better chance to get a job than if you don't. That's a simple statement. And I think that uh, I think his parents were, his father especially, was very much uh, concerned about that whole thing because there's more to the your life than just the next 10 years of playing basketball. I think Iowa realizes that he's beyond his age in the way he thinks. Yep. And that uh, comes from his family background, certainly. Yep. Greg and Champaign, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, fellas. A great show today. I have a question for Lauren. Obviously, through all the years, Lauren has uh, 
called things as he sees them. And I do know that throughout time uh, you've observed things perhaps different than Lou perceived them. And uh, I wonder, and it, I know you have a great, have had a great relationship with Lou. Did you ever have any particular conflicts with Lou through the years? Yeah, on who was buying lunch. Yeah. He had to Lou fight Lou buy, to get the we check. He had to fight Lou to, to ever buy a lunch. He wanted to buy every lunch. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think so. I don't think I ever had a... Well, now, wait a minute. There were times when I wrote things that I knew that he wouldn't necessarily approve of. I had a really simple process to go through. I just didn't see him for a day. If I knew I wrote mm-hmm. something, I knew what he... I knew how he'd react to anything I wrote. And he, if he liked it, fine. And if he didn't, and I wrote a lot of things that we had. A, hey, we had a tough time. I mean, everybody talks about that great shot that uh, that uh, Eddie Johnson made. We lost four of the, we lost eleven of the next fifteen games after that. There were a lot of people that wanted him out. Yep. There, there was a Decatur writer that wrote a story that wanted him to resign. And so, I mean, I so I wrote things that that he wouldn't entirely approve of, or I might have had a criticism of a game or something, but. If I stayed away one day, uh, then the next day everything, it was like it never happened. Lou never carried a grudge, and that was one of his great qualities, I think. Well, in that, uh, along that uh, line of thinking, I once asked Lou, I said, I don't know how you do it with the Deion Thomas thing and the Iowa whole situation. I said, do you hold a grudge? He goes, don't hold a grudge, Steve, but I've got a long memory. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, it probably says something very positive about you fellows and Lou all having those those kind of attitudes. So, thanks. One, for one thing you knew about that thanks, I Greg. knew about Lou, you could really trust him. You know, and and he wouldn't ever t- he wouldn't tell you everything. And like I said, you, you could ask questions. He knew what he was going to say before he asked the question, particularly if it had to do with another team. <laughs> you could you just knew what it was going to be. You don't learn anything from Lou about another team by asking him a question about him because he's going to say the same thing about this. You know about that famous story where we were going to the NIT and they were we were over at uh, Katsinas and uh, the Round Barn and they had it up there that we're going to play this particular team. I can't remember the name of the team now. And Lou talked about this team. He had scouted them. And somebody came running up and said, Lou, he says, we got the wrong information. We're playing so-and-so. And so he said, well, everything I said about that team, you can put it in this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what he said. It's, it's really, so, you know, you just have to write what you're going to write because he's going to say what he's going to say. Hey, Greg, thanks for the call. Thank we you. appreciate that. When I was doing uh, TV work back uh, during Coach Henson's time and working on his TV show and then doing pregame reports and features and talking about who they're going to play and – there was a joke that I could just go in and pull last week's soundbite out. That's right. Because, Steve, we got to get on the board. <laughs> we got to rebound. got to play defense. <laughs> if they don't play defense, they're not in the game. <laughs> it is, just pull out the old soundbite. Just about every opponent. 11-18, uh, we're in our final minutes. If you have any uh, thoughts, get in here in the next uh, five minutes or so. We'll get you on 356 Talking about Lou Henson, talking about Io coming back, talking about uh, the likelihood of Kofi coming back. His announcement scheduled in just over 90 minutes. So we'll see how things go there and 
a lot of people think that projects Illinois right up into the top 10 nationally and as a Big Ten favorite. Yeah, it's uh, and by the way, the league's going to be pretty good if because I, I'm sure that Gars is going to come back, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And uh, Iowa's going to really be good. They got Bohannon coming back. They got Wieskamp coming back. They're going to be loaded. Michigan State's going to be loaded. I mean, I think they are. I think Tillman's coming back. Hey, we haven't heard that, have we? That, We've that not heard that. That that information's not out. But anyway, the league is going to be really good. Wisconsin's going to be good. Indiana's going to be good. I. I, I think that while Illinois is going to be a contender, that's as far as you can go. They're going to be a, a strong contender and a legitimate contender, but as far as having – this isn't going to be a walkover. No, just hope we have a season. Yeah. Let's go to Tom in Greenville. Hey, Tom, you're on the air with us. Thank you. Uh, this goes back to the year that uh, Illinois beat Michigan State in that game at Illinois on the shot by Eddie Johnson. Anyway – Prior to that season, during a practice session, I was uh, fortunate enough to be with my brother-in-law, Jack Kogel, who was a coach at uh, Gibson City High School, and he was a friend of Coach, as he called him. And after the practice, we talked to Coach for a minute. Actually, Jack and and Coach talked, and I listened. But Jack asked him, well, how are you going to be this year, Coach? And uh, Coach Henson says, well, he says, I think we're going to be pretty good. But he said, it all depends upon the health of this one player. And he said, Steve Lanter is the key to our success. As long as he's healthy, we're going to be pretty good. But most people don't remember in that Michigan State game, that's when Steve Lanter got hurt and was out for the rest of the season. And he was exactly right. He knew his team and knew what they needed. And without Lanter... They weren't that good. That's exactly right. I think he might have tried to move uh, Smith to guard at one point. Yeah, which, he did. Which, which, right. which, which didn't work too well. I mean, Smith was a really good player, and he guarded uh, Magic. I think Magic only had eight points against Smith in that game. Uh, but uh, you're right. Uh, Steve Lanner was a key, and I don't think he got injured in the uh, Michigan State game because he made the pass to Johnson, hit the winning basket with no time okay. left. But – Maybe he was in, he was entered in, in the Ohio State game, I think. Okay, and, you could be right on that. Yeah, but it was and, right about that time. Right, exactly. And uh, well, they well, obviously they weren't the same team without him. Nope, they and weren't. That, that to me just you know, verified that you know Lee knows talent and he knows his team. So, thank you. Yep, thank Appreciate you, Tom. Good stuff. Appreciate you taking time to uh, give us a call. The lines are open at the moment. Lauren, let's uh, kind of recap some of the stuff that uh, we uh, talked about today. A lot of conversation, obviously, about oh, Lou man. and, and Iowa. We could go on uh, you and Iowa stories for a long time, and, but that might put people to sleep. But uh, we really enjoyed having Mary Henson in to lead off yeah, the show. I think Mary enjoys it. I do. I think I don't think this is what you know, we're putting upon her in any way. I think she really enjoys it. And, and um, Mark gave a great uh, 10-, 12-minute speech there that, uh, where he just covered the waterfront. And it was, it was fun to have uh, Dan Dockich on to tell about what really happened in that locker room, you know, where he was trying to keep Knight from, from going after Lou, and they were trying to keep Lou from going after Knight. And, and uh, it was great to have uh, hear from Norm Stewart and, and Jeremy, who's just been an outstanding uh, guy in our business uh, in the last 10 years. And so, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Kendall Gill, of course, uh, with us as well, and Rod Cardinal and Quinn Richardson and all the uh, people that uh, took time to call, Ed Bond in the house as well. If you missed it, uh, he's working on a 
a uh, program, a repeat of a program that you don't have to do much editing on, do you? No, I don't. I just have to do a wraparound on it as far as I know. But one of the things uh, Lauren brought up a moment ago, there's the one clip that is in the program, of course, is the Syracuse game. And Jim Turpin and Lauren Tater doing the call. And, well, that's the final score. It's 89 to 86. And Lauren says... Well, you can't have a meeting of the we're through with Lou Club for another week. <laughs> and we never had another meeting. <laughs> so it was quite funny. It, it really is. But did I say that? You did. I've oh got my. the tape. You want to hear it? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was a good time. A, we're, we're through with Lou Club. Huh? The, we're through with Lou Club. Can't have a meeting for another week. You know, when I talked to several people this week, and many of them on the golf course that were remembering uh, Lou as a coach and how they used to drive him crazy with some of his late game decisions and losses that, uh, you know, I remember a game when uh, Altenberger was playing that just scored about 30 points at Purdue and those kind of games kind of stick in your mind and how said Lou used to drive him nuts, but we love him so much, you know, <laughs> and you didn't know you loved him maybe at that time, but then you saw what kind of man he is and that's, that is what you remember about Lou Henson? Well, he set up some great plays at the end of games, and the greatest play he ever set up was against Austin P. Mm-hmm. Throwing that ball to half court, calling timeout, and then throwing the ball down to Nick, to uh, to uh, Ken, Norman. Nate, uh, Norman, Ken Norman, who yeah. had a free throw lo- length shot right at the free throw line, unguarded, and, it off. <laughs> and he missed it. Ooh, one point loss. But that was great clock management. Yeah, and nothing, it was. It and nothing was. like and he, it. He did everything right, but you got to make the basket. You got to make the shot. Yeah, got to make the shot. Once again, uh, Kofi Coburn to announce uh, his decision. We were pretty sure that he's coming back. More sure than we were that Io was. But yeah. uh, uh, that is coming up this afternoon. So it's been a good day. We th- thank you uh, to everybody that listened and called in, and thanks to Mary Henson, Mark Coombs, Dan Dockage, Kendall Gill, Norm Stewart, Jeremy Warner, Rod Cardinal. Quinn Richardson, Ed Bond, our producer, uh, Blake Landa, for helping us as well. And we appreciate uh, you listening. So we'll, uh, we'll let it go for now. And uh, the show has been on hey, WDWS. Steve, great job today. You did terrific. You too. Thank Thanks you, sir. Thanks for carrying me. WDWS, WHMS, Champaign-Urbana. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon right here. Have a good weekend, everybody. you have a wet basement, you've got a problem. Not only are you inviting toxic mold, a flooded foundation can raise 